We've been working our way all the way through uh, uh, the first four chapters of the uh, Gospel of Mark. And it's been, um, it's been really wonderful. We started off thinking about the divine dance. And about the idea that in that verse, of course, it says, This is my beloved son, whom I love and am well pleased. And of course, there at the beginning of Mark's gospel, it's set up uh, to, to declare good news. That something incredible, something amazing has taken place. And the Trinity is present there at the moment of God's creation of redemptive plan. And that moment is there with the Trinity that are one God, three persons. That honour each other, that glorify each other, that know each other, that love each other, that commune with each other. And the triune God whom we follow engages with humanity as the word of God becomes flesh and dwells amongst us. And I said, uh, a single God does not know how to love. A God of the Trinity knows how to relate because for all of eternity they have honoured and adored and deferred to one another. And the very nature of Christianity is that we are not driven by self-centeredness. We do not aim that our world, that the worlds revolve around us, but we understand that, that we want to put him as the center of our world. And in chapter one, we understand and we can see that Jesus had authority over temptation. Jesus had authority over over calling people towards mission and the, the disciples. Jesus had authority over sickness and miracles. And in chapter 2, we, we heard about how, how the, the power of sin is broken through the work of Jesus Christ. And we only really know Jesus because we know our sin. And when we truly recognise our sin and the power of sin in our life and recognise how sin wrecks us and sin destroys us, but then see Jesus, then we can truly understand his forgiveness. And chapter 3, the Sabbath, where there was the man with the withered hand. And of course, all of the Pharisees were complaining because was Jesus going to heal somebody on the Sabbath, surely he wouldn't break the law to heal a man's withered hand on the Sabbath. And that Jesus pointed out truly that it's not about the withered hand, it is about your withered hearts. And that he is the Sabbath, that shalom, that he declared indeed that he was the Sabbath to the world, that he is the Sabbath, he is that deep peace, he is that resting peace, he is that satisfying peace. And, and as God stood back and God rested on the seventh day, God of course did not rest in the way that we think of rest. What that means is God stood back, looked at it and was satisfied. He rested in that deep satisfaction and it was done and the evangelist teaches us here that we have to learn to sit back and rest 
even with the strains of family, even the political words, even with toxic attack that Jesus faced in chapter 3, he's with us. We pushed forward to chapter 4 and we thought and saw the great moment in the storm where we understood that faith, it's not the quality of your faith that makes a difference, it's the object of your faith that makes all the difference. And so many of you condemn yourself because you feel like your faith isn't good enough. You feel like the quality isn't there. That you've got to use some kind of mysterious formula for faith to see things happen. No, it's not about your faith. It is about the object of your faith. And the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. And when we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith grows. It is the object of our faith in the middle of the storm that makes all of the difference. So you and I are on this amazing journey through Mark's gospel. But we're synchronizing all of our preaches. So we've been at the end of chapter four. We're going to pop back to the beginning of chapter four. Because it'd be good to talk about the parables here for a few moments. And if you're joining us online, we want to thank you for joining us online and check out our website, email us. Uh, we know so many people around the world connect with us online and we're grateful for that. Or come and join us here on Sunday morning. We'd love to see you. And again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, verse 1. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into the boat, sat in it, Out on the lake were all the people along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables in his teaching, said. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky place where it did not have much soil. He sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, 60 some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. A parable, many of you know this parable quite well. It is the parable of the sower. And parables, as N.T. Wright describes, uh, he sort of sees them as almost at times like dreams. Because every time you look at it, you see it from different perspectives. And a parable like this speaks to you and I as we meditate on it, as we think about it, as we pray about it at multiple levels. Another way of looking at a parable is Jesus is communicating, but he sort of has to communicate in an element of code, if you like. And, and sometimes we miss the nuances of what he's trying to communicate. Of course, he's communicating the fact that the family farm of Israel is in ruin. 
that now he has come, he's going to revitalize, if you like, the family farm, and he is going to sow the nation of Israel through the Messiah into the nations and into the world. And so this is a subversive message that declares that something big, that something incredible is going to take place, is going to happen. And so a parable sometimes is a little bit like a cartoon, a political cartoon that, um, that you and I may read at the back of large and well-known newspapers. But you have to know the culture really to sometimes understand the cartoon. So if you come to Britain and you look at the cartoons, you will recognise certain images mean certain things, such as a cartoon figure of a bulldog represents the kind of British spirit. A little, fat, ugly dog. And, and that's the cartoon. And it comes, of course, from Winston and so on. And usually a bulldog with a big cigar in, in the face. And so, so you have that. And, and, and Canada has other instantly cartoon images. You know, put a, a moose. And... And put that there in a cartoon, you know instantly what's going on or what's taking place. And, and here, the, the listeners would have known what is taking place, what is, what is happening in this. But let's pick it up. There is the sower, there is the seed, there is the soil, as we first look at the kind of images in this. And... Jesus starts off by talking about the sower and, and he says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it. But notice something about this great uh, farmer who goes out to sow, the sower. The sower goes out into the world to scatter the seed. A church that stops going out into the world is a church that will die. We have got a great mission as a church and that mission is to go therefore into all the world and to preach. And the thing I notice about this, um, this, this farmer is that he's sowing everywhere and he's throwing seed all over the place. And it's describing that this seed is landing on paths, it's landing in rocks, it's in shallow soil, it's in good soil. You can just imagine this farmer throwing Throwing soil, uh, throwing seed everywhere. But I've, I've planted seeds. And when I plant seeds, I'm pretty strategic in my seed planting. I get my little packet from IGA and, and I open it up and I start to plant step by step. There's a, it's as if... He is sowing everywhere and he is willing to see what will take place. You know, there's a danger in the church in Canada, in the Western world, that we forget that we are called to preach, to share, to show, to sow the gospel of Christ everywhere. It is our responsibility to keep sowing. It is God's responsibility to bring the harvest. And yet we stop. 
You know, we lose our enthusiasm. We use our willingness. I mean, some of the seed fell on the path. Some of the seed fell in the rocks. Some of the seed fell in all kinds of different areas. But the farmer just kept sowing. I've been an enthusiastic evangelist. I, I love, there are things I just would love to go out and sow. And I got myself in all kinds of different situations. When I was a teenager, and I looked like a teenager, and I was 16, 17 years old, um, I could do things that I can't do now. When I was 16, 17 years old, I'd go to a big high school, wander around the high school, go outside 7-Eleven, and I'd sow some seed and I'd witness to a load of teenagers on the corner. I can't do that now. Mainly because I'd get arrested. And because, you know, 51-year-old men shouldn't be hanging around schools. But when I was 16, 17, I was one of them. I was there. I was part of it. I was sowing seed. I didn't know where the seed went. I was chatting to them. I was talking to them. I was amongst them. It was exciting. I even went down to the local disco and clubs and started witnessing to the, um, to the people outside the clubs and giving out water and chatting to them. I'd get into trouble with the bouncers. And, and I went into the club and then I got thrown out of the club. And then people from the club all came out and gathered around me. And, and, and the bouncer then said to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm preaching. They said, the manager says, you've got to stop preaching. I said, I can't. Judge for yourself whether it is right before God to obey you. Uh, I wanted to just quote that scripture at him. And, and then he said, well, the manager says, listen, if you come in the club, I will give you the mic. You can have five minutes and just preach to everybody. What do you want to do? I said, I'll, I'll come in, thanks. You know, I was throwing seed everywhere. I can't do that these days in that way. And I got up and they said, we've got the preacher. You've all heard him. He's, he's this young guy. Go on then. Tell us about Jesus. And so I started to tell them about Jesus. And then the DJ behind was bringing a bit of drum and bass in. And Okay, I know you can't do that. And I can't do that now in the same way. But what we have to learn and remember is the gospel needs to be sown into lives. And sometimes it will land on solid paths where the hearts are hard. And sometimes it will land in soil that is shallow. And sometimes it will land in other places. But other times it will land on hearts and salvation will come. Met a lady last night, first time she'd come on a Saturday night. She was absolutely blown away. She loved the service. God ministered to her. She felt connected. She said, I, I'd never been here before, but I came to your living, living nativity. And, um, and I decided to come last night. She said, it's amazing. I want, I want to know Jesus. 6,000 people came through. We were casting seed all out. And then you see where it lands. Don't forget the power of the gospel. 
Don't forget the power that the gospel can work and the way that it can move and the difference that it can make in lives. For many of us, the gospel came and worked in our lives and made such a difference. Maybe it was at a camp. Maybe it was at a Sunday school gathering. Maybe it was sat in a church service. Maybe, like me, it was on a street corner where somebody came and spoke to me about Jesus Christ. And I found salvation through good old-fashioned meeting people on a street corner, befriending them, chatting to them, sharing your story, inviting them for coffee, come along, go to the church, and one day you find yourself giving your life to Jesus. And then you find yourself in Kelowna preaching at Willow Park Church. There's a little bit went on in between. We've all got family members who feel like path that is hard and tough and you're throwing seed on it but it's not going anywhere and the enemy seems to be stealing it. But if we think about the sower, let's think about the soil. For the soil here, in many ways we can think of the soil as our own hearts. How is your heart? You see, for some, the the seed fell on the path, the rocky path, which had been trodden down again and again by people around them. And I've discovered that when people have been trodden on a lot and they felt the pain and the hurt in life, it is difficult to get the seed in sometimes. The enemy comes and steals it. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's rejection. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's the way the church treated them. But their heart has become hard and rock solid. And although the sower keeps sowing, the enemy keeps stealing. And their heart is rock solid. And they never experience the plowing nature of repentance that comes into our heart and starts to break down the hardness of our soil and brings life. Or maybe it's shallow, enthusiastic, quickly to engage and then move on. And it grows, it comes and it dies. Or maybe which I think is probably a problem in our Western culture is that it's sown amongst It grows well, but the cares and the problems and the difficulties of the world come in and they choke and those thorns come around and the worry of life, the worry of wealth, the worry of others' opinions, the worry of of people-pleasing, the worry of so much comes in like those thorns, those weeds and it's choking your Christianity and it's robbing your Christianity and your heart is now choked because of stress and anxiety and worry. Your life has become one that is now spiritually shallow or your whole heart has become so hard that your relationship with God has become toxic. See, he says here, he that has an ear, let him hear. Listen to this. 
I've got secrets to share with you. What's going on with your relationship with Jesus here? Are you being continually converted by the power of the gospel? Do you get up in the morning and know that you have received seed is the kingdom of God and you are saved because of the Savior? Are you allowing the softness, the closeness of his word coming or has your relationship with the Lord become solid, hard, shallow, Choked out, overwhelmed, or are you bearing a harvest? You can tell when you walk into a house when the marriage isn't going so well. Have you, have you been experienced that? I have. I, I, I spent probably 10 years on the road staying in different Christians' homes, which is... I'm full of stories of that as days. It wasn't the days when we stayed in hotels, but we, we were billeted. But I know that when I walked in certain homes, I could feel a chilliness if, if the husband and wife were not getting on well. You can tell, can't you? He lives in the shed. <laughs> she comes, she lives in the kitchen. He comes through and... Few words are said, and if you haven't done marriage alpha, then think about doing marriage alpha um, and do alpha. But there's that tension, there's that shortness, there's that atmosphere. It happens in our home on those rare occasions that Michelle and I have an argument every decade. And... You know that's not true. <laughs> but if we're disagreeing over something, or if we're like having a little, a, little, a little frosty moment, and we're discussing, and it's, I admit it's always my fault. Uh, but there's this frosty moment, and you walk in, the kids go, what's, what's wrong with you two? <laughs> Our kids are quite expressive. What's going on? Well, we're, just, we're just chatting together. You don't seem to be chatting. You seem to be quite intense. Well, we're just, just trying to resolve a problem. Well, what are, you, what are you trying to resolve the problem over? What's the problem? Like, excuse me, you're 10 years old, marriage counselling. Um, <laughs> bright kids. Uh, then the teenagers come in, the 18-year-olds. <laughs> Dolby Stereo, I've got twins, as you know. They b- both got their opinions on what's going on. So what you, what are you, what's the chilliness about? Uh, actually, it's about you two. Okay, bye. And, <laughs> and they leave. You see, we are married. We are in covenant. We live together. But you know that even in the closest relationship, strain can come. In your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I've watched many, many Christians live for months and years. They know that they're believers, but there is a chilliness between the relationship between them and Christ. And it's either down that the weeds are choking you, 
that the soil is shallow and you're not going deeper. Or something's making your path of your heart hard. And you know that you live with Jesus, but the relationship is cool. And it's not to do with him. It's always to do with us. Because he is in love eternal. He is redemption itself. And your heart becomes hard. Your soil becomes toxic. And you no longer want to Instagram those family pictures with you and Jesus. If you don't know what Instagram is, then Pastor Steve will run a small seminar outside afterwards. See, I I Instagram. uh, You can follow me, Philip Joseph Collins on Instagram. And... And what I've noticed is that I've Instagrammed certain things very ex- in an excited way. I, you remember I had a garden and I, did, uh, I developed a, uh, what they call a lasagna garden with layers in. And I developed this garden and uh, first year I grew, had a great, a great uh, crop. I was giving away food. It was amazing. It was incredible. I had great pictures on Instagram and Facebook of the angle of the, of the leaves blowing in the wind. A couple of good seasons. But you will notice on my Instagram profile that I did not Instagram last year's harvest. Mainly because it became toxic, the soil. That was my fault because I had a load of Ogo Grow that I had kept at the side of the house and wrapped in a tarpaulin. And I'm told that all of the special chemicals they put within this had taken root and had grown and I t- it was about two I guess uh, two massive buckets full. I'd taken it round, put it onto the garden and nothing was growing. Everything was dying. I knew there was something wrong when the rabbit with two heads (laughs) I didn't Instagram any of that. Your your heart can become toxic and you become resistant to the word of God and hearing his voice and the spirit of God within your life. And we have to say, you know, I want to keep My heart pure. I want to listen. I think the other parables in this chapter go on to emphasize the powerful point. We have the parable of the lamp and and that uh, we shouldn't hide uh, our light. We We should put the light on a hill. We should shine like that. And then he says, 
Consider carefully what you hear. In verse 24, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Funny little verse in the middle of this teaching. Basically, it's saying, come on, grasp it. Grasp the word of God. Go deeper. Get more out of it. Send your roots deep. And the deeper you go, the more you will get. And the deeper you go, the harvest will grow 30, 60, 100 times. Don't allow yourself to become an outsider in your own home. He uses the phrase outsider here. The secrets of the kingdom of God, he says in verse 11, has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said as parables. Who are the outsiders? Well, clearly, the house of Herod, the Pharisees, the Roman authorities, those that would oppose the greatest revolution that will change the world. He's sowing the Messiah into the ground of the world to bring redemption and the gospel to all nations. Nothing's going to stop this. He speaks in secrets. And I want to remind you that every one of you In Christ Jesus, you have the privilege and the blessing to be insiders. You are insiders. You know mysteries. You know secrets. By mysteries and secrets, I don't mean anything. I mean that you know truth that changes your life and changes the world. You have a heart that listens. You receive the word of God and the spirit of God in your life. Because when you meet Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel, I went from an outsider to becoming an insider and I am planted in the kingdom of God. I'm there. Do you know what I've noticed though, which is so frightening? I've noticed Christians who have been insiders, who have become almost like outsiders. They don't love the gospel. They don't love the work of the cross. Any idea of sowing evangelism and mission into the world becomes... They lose contact in prayer. Pastor Steve had a prophetic word when he was praying and interceding with the intercession teams and they had a beautiful time last Sunday morning. And he really helped him go to a deeper level to pray for our communities and communities. And he saw somebody, I can't do it justice, but he saw a man take his wedding ring off and throw his wedding ring on the ground. And it went into a snowbank and the wedding ring sank into the snowbank. 
And it almost feels that the heart can become so hard or so shallow or so choked by other things that we're almost taking that covenant, that wedding ring, and we're throwing it into the snowbank. We're losing our first love. You're losing your first passion. And, and the man was scrambling to find the wedding ring. And it's a whole different layers, I guess, to that moment in prayer that he had that was so profound and so blessed that we have pastors that pray intently for our congregation. But are you there? Has your heart become hard? Has your Christianity become shallow? Have you lost the desire to sow? I can no longer sow outside of certain places. I used to be able to. But let me tell you, whether it's at the fire hall or whether it's in a cafe or whether it's wandering around Savon, I'm meeting people all the time that I'm sowing seed. And the thing about the seed is that the Lord doesn't seem to mind. He says, sow it. Some success will happen. Failure will happen. But you keep sowing. And when you sow and you get involved and you're, in, you're pushing in faith, he makes it clear it's not all easy, friends. You're going to feel the birds of the attack of the enemy robbing from your life. You're going to experience the scorching environment of the sun that burns down on your head and you're thirsty. You're going to know moments in your life when the thorns of relationships and the weeds of life will choke you. You will know what it is to think, look at your life and go, how did I become so shallow and so self-centered? And then you pull yourself up, you look to the King of Kings and you fall in love with Jesus again. Come on. Get your first love. Get your heart right. That's what, the, that's what the evangelist wants in Mark. That's what he is communicating. This is the heart of the Apostle Peter. Come on. Let your heart be right. And move on for another harvest. Because you know what I'm going to do this spring? I'm going to remove all the soil. I'm going to get the soil good. And then I'm going to... I'm going to have another go. You'll know if it's successful because I'll be Instagramming it. <laughs> Let's stand together. Let's just walk through in our hearts and remind ourselves the truths. God is in divine relationship and the Trinity teaches us how relationships should function. Jesus has authority over all things. We see our sin, but we see our Saviour more. Dwell and live in the Sabbath, which is Jesus. Know the deep peace and the deep rest. 
when you're in the storm, know that Jesus has got it. He's all powerful. But don't let your heart become hard. Your faith become chilly. Your spiritual covenant thrown into the snowbank where it slowly sinks into the mud. Put Jesus first this morning now. For every one of us, rededicate your life to Christ and put him as number one. Preach the gospel to yourself again and get converted again. And let the cross do its work. Father, I thank you for our beautiful church, for this family that I'm part of and love it. For every person here, I pray that we may be holy and completely given over to you full of your love. I put you first, Jesus. I put you as number one. I'm sorry when I'm foolish. When areas of my life become hard, I'm sorry when I've drift into shallowness Lord I'm sorry when when I'm more concerned about the weeds around me than I am about the harvest you want to give me minister to our hearts in these final moments dear father I ask in Jesus name Amen as we sing this song Use it as an opportunity to rededicate your Christ, your life to Christ. Pick up the wedding ring, get the chilliness out of the room, turn up the heat, say a good old sorry and a hug, and get it right with the Lord this morning.